Welcome again, everyone. Um, one thing to add to um, Michelle's announcement about the cookout is um, we are asking people, um, if they can, to bring stuff to the cookout, okay? So um, we are going to be providing all the burgers and hot dogs, all those kind of things. But if you want to sign up to bring something, and I encourage you to do that, you can go to uh, impactchurchmd.com slash grilled, or there's an iPad right in the back there. You can also uh, uh, sign up for so to bring something. If you're really good at making something, then please make it. If you're really good at buying something, please buy it, okay? So um, that way we have stuff to eat there, okay? Um, we are starting our brand new series called Grilled. This is our second time doing this. We didn't do it last year, but we did it uh, two years ago. Um, and in this series, we are just going to be answering the questions that you all submitted. That's all we're doing. Any questions you asked, we're going to answer them. Um, we are not going to be able to get to all of them, though. It's just not possible because you guys gave so many questions, which is a good thing. So as we do this series... Um, most weeks, we're going to be answering five, six, seven different questions. As we do this series, at the end of it, if you did not hear a question that you submitted answered and you want to know the answer, then just feel free to email me or text me and we will answer that for you. There's just no way for us to get to all of them. There's just way too many. Michelle and I this past week sat through all of them. Some of the questions made us laugh. Um, I'll tell you next week, the number one question we got asked, which you won't believe what it was, um, but like 10 people asked this one question. Um, but so... Well, every week we're going to talk about a bunch of different questions um, in this Grilled series. Today, though, we're only going to answer one question. And here's the reason why we're only going to answer one question. Uh, the first reason is because um, a lot of you asked this question in some different way, in some fashion. We got like four or five uh, questions just on this topic alone. So that shows us that people want to know the answer. It's the second most asked question um, besides the first one, which I'll tell you about next week. And uh, so that's number one why I'm only talking about this one question today. Another, number two, um, I can barely answer this question if I took an entire series to do it, let alone one sermon. So to, to answer it with a bunch of other questions wouldn't be responsible for me. So I'm going to take this entire sermon to answer this one question. And then number three, I think this is something that is crucial for all of us to understand. And I think most of us don't think it's crucial for all of us to understand. So that's why we're going to do a whole sermon. And here's the question. If you have your impact card, you already saw it. But here's the question. Why do we believe in ordaining women? We got three or four different questions. Some of them were asking about uh, certain passages that talked about women, which we're going to discuss but in some fashion, we got this question. Why do we believe in ordaining women? As in, why do we believe that women can and should be pastors, which we do? Um, pastor Michelle is Pastor Michelle. She, is a, she has a license. She is ordained. Uh, not ordained yet. She's getting there. But um, she has got, met with our district and our denomination that she is a pastor just as much as I am a pastor. And I am very happy that we got this question so many times because this is something that I am pretty passionate about. And I think it's important for us as a church to make a crystal clear stance so that you know, because church's stance on this changes, it depending on what church or what denomination you're part of, the, the answers to this change for a lot of different churches and denominations, so it is important for us to do this. So again, just to reiterate right up front, here at Impact, we fully believe that women can and should be pastors, including lead pastors. We don't believe that women can only be the children's pastor. We believe they can and should be pastors. Um, we fully authorize and empower people like Michelle to lead and to teach her an impact. I also believe that um, this is one of the most important issues that is happening in, our, in church world today. You've probably seen this recently where different 
debates and different things have come up when it comes to who is biblically qualified to be ordained as a pastor. In fact, uh, just a month ago, um, a church in California named Saddleback Church, you may know this church, um, the lead pastor is a guy named Rick Warren. Rick Warren wrote uh, the book Purpose Driven Life, and um, it's, I think Purpose Driven Life is the number two best-selling book of all time right after the Bible. I'm pretty sure. I read that on the internet so I'm sure it's true, okay? I, I have not verified that at all, so don't quote. But number two best-selling from what I've, I've heard, they are part of the Southern Baptist Church, um, and the Southern Baptist Convention has a very strict um, stance on who is allowed to be ordained as women. But Rick Warren and the Saddle, and Saddleback Church just recently decided they're going to go against the Southern Baptist Convention and ordain three women. Here's actually a picture of it. Of This was a month ago, and the Southern Baptist Convention freaked out. They were not happy about it. Um, they called it disappointing. They, it was a directly against what they stand for. So this is happening a lot, and more and more people and more and more churches are starting to look at this like, is this true? Should we really not be ordaining women? Is this something that we should be doing? Shouldn't we look a little closer at it? So I think it's important for us to look at it. And here's one thing I've also learned when it comes to this topic. Um, everyone stands differently when it comes to this topic. There are people that are all the way over here that are like, nope. I fully believe that the Bible tells us that women should not be ordained. They should not be pastors. I, be, I strongly believe it. And some of you might be that. Most likely, we don't have a lot of people that are that way here because those people wouldn't go to a church that has a woman pastor, and you may know we have one. Um, that's, that's, that's a group of people. Then there's a group here, and this, I think, is the most common group, where they will say, I don't really know. Um, I was taught that they shouldn't, and I read a couple things in, in Scripture, and I'm not sure about it, so... Um, it doesn't really matter to me either way. I'll go to a church that won't allow women to be pastors, and I'll go to a church that will. Um, it doesn't matter to me. And if at the end of the day, when I go to heaven, if I'm wrong and they tell me I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. That's fine. That's what um, I, hear, I hear that all the time. Then there's people over here who are like, yeah, I do think that women should be pastors, but I cannot explain to you why um, the Bible says certain things that make it seem like they shouldn't. I just think I should, but I have no explanation for that. And there's people over here that are like, I strongly believe it. Here's how I can explain these things to you. So we have all different types of people when it comes to this stance. And I know that, in fact, most churches and denominations do not agree with ordaining women. We're already seeing that change. We're already seeing different denominations change, different churches like um, Saddleback Church change what they were thinking of and re-looking at it. Um, and when they do that, they most commonly refer to two passages, and this is the question we got about both these passages. It's 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. Those are the two most common ones that are used. Um, there's also Titus, uh, which we're not going to talk about Titus, but again, it's the same idea that talk about why women should not be pastors, and that's what churches will point to when they discuss it. So today, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 14, and I'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to talk to you about those, and then from there, we're going to see why I believe and why our church believes that women should be ordained. Now, before we get to 1 Corinthians 14, some reminders. Anytime you read anything in Scripture, there's a couple things that you should always think about and, and remember when you're reading Scripture. Who the author is, sometimes we don't know it, but if you know who the author is, who the author is, the audience that they're writing to, the, whether it's a church or to a person, whoever it is, the context they're writing it, and the purpose of the letter. So if Paul is writing the letter, where is he writing it to? Why is he writing this letter? What's happening in that church, in that culture, in that context at that time? So with that, let's read the first one. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 through 35. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, 
but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Seems pretty, pretty clear there. At first glance, it's hard to argue that women are allowed to be any kind of speaker at, at, in any capacity or even speak at all in the first glance. But in order to properly understand this verse, we need to understand the culture that Paul is writing to. Paul is writing this letter to a church in Corinth. Corinth was a wild city. Um, the joke I always say is, um, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. That's the kind of city that, that this church was located in, okay? Um, Paul is writing to this, to this church. This was a very divisive city, and it was made up of all different types of backgrounds, all different types of beliefs, all different types of practices. Um, and it was also important to understand that the women in this culture were treated horrifically. Like, there was no value if you were a woman, especially in this culture. They were seen as a way to produce a son, and that's it. If they have kids, if they produce daughters, no good to you. But if they produce sons, that's when they give their value. That's the only value women had in this culture. They were also, because that was their only value, why educate them? They don't need to know anything. All they need to know is how to give me a boy. That's it. So they were very, very uneducated. So this church it's full of women that weren't allowed to learn anything and were treated like they were as good as cattle. That's who they were. So during the early church, um, back then, men and women would sit across from each other. They weren't allowed to sit together because men had to learn and women just had to be silent. So men would sit on one side and the women would sit on the other side. That's how the culture worked. Um, these were the rules of, of the time. Uh, these women, who were very uneducated, would, uh, would oftentimes, especially in that culture, if they had a question, they would, weren't allowed to ask the pastor directly, because again, they're a woman. They would have to yell to their husband who's over here, who would then ask the question to whoever's teaching. So imagine if Erica, who's back there, whose birthday it is today. Happy birthday, Erica. Yeah, yeah. Um, happy birthday. Um, Erica had a question, and instead of um, asking me, she had to yell over to Steve, who then had to ask the question. Imagine if that's how church went. How distracting and hard would it be for me to preach? I was a youth pastor for a long time. I preached in a lot of hard situations. I preached one time where a student sat in the front row, took Play-Doh, and just threw it in the air as high as they could over and over until I told them to stop. That person actually goes to this church still. Um, but yeah, I, I remember being like, can you please stop? I'm preaching. So I, it's, it's very distracting, right? And this it's a major, major distraction. This is the context that Paul is saying women need to be silent. And in this same exact letter, let's go just a couple chapters prior. Here's what Paul says in the same exact letter. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. The thing with covered and uncovered is not really that important. It's a cultural thing. But here's what's important to understand in this, what Paul is saying. Every man who prays should do it this way, and every woman who prays or prophesies should do it this way. He talks about how men should do it, and then here's how women should do it. Paul gives specific commands to women on how they should pray and prophesy in church just like he does to men. But why should they pray and prophesy? Why should they have any instruction if they need to be silent, if they can't speak, if they can't talk? Just sit there and be quiet. Why would they give them any instructions if that was the case? Let's go back to verse 34. Women should remain in silent, silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. It's a key part. When Paul says, as the law says, what law is he talking about? 
What law is it? He could be referring to the Mosaic law, which is the law we see in the Old Testament. He could be referring to um, the law of the Old Covenant, the maybe, possibly. The problem with that is we don't find any type law that says women have to be silent in the Old Covenant or in the Mosaic law. We just don't see it. So he'd be quoting something from a law that we've never seen that's not actually in there. So I would say he's probably not doing that. He could also be talking about the Roman law, like the law of the day. But this would be um, the only example in Paul's letters where he refers to the Roman law. He just never does it. He, is, he might be doing that, but this would be the only time he does it. What I believe is that the law, which the Greek word here is nomos, is rather referring to its most common meaning, as in rule or principle or the norm. Women were to be quiet and behave according to the cultural norms of the day. All that to say that I believe that 1 Corinthians 14 has been a misinterpreted command that was meant for that church, at that situation, in that culture, at that time, and it's not meant to be what we do today. Now let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2, again, this is written by Paul, the same guy who wrote the last one. He said, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Again, it seems pretty clear. Got to be quiet. You should have authority over men. You cannot teach, should not do that. But let's look a little deeper. Let's just go just a couple verses ahead. Let's go a couple verses back. Verse 8, Paul says this, Therefore, I want the men in everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or extensive things, but with good deeds appropriate for the women who profess to worship God. So here's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, hey, men, when you pray and stuff, don't live out the stereotype. The stereotype then is almost a stereotype now. You don't have to worry about anger and fighting and being those. Don't, don't worry about that stereotype. And women, you shouldn't worry about your stereotype. You should not, you're not just the pretty little things. You're not just, just worry about your hair and your mate. That's not what you should do. That's not what you should be concerned about. Paul's talking about the stereotypes. And then verse 11, a man should, in that context, here's what Paul says, that women should learn in quietness and full submission. Um, the question for me is, why should they learn? Like the question, learn, why? You have no authority. You can't teach anything. You are not allowed to do that. Why learn anything? Why should a woman learn? But the rest of the verse, we, we look at this and we use it to say why women can't be ordained. And we miss the part that Paul is saying, hey, you who have never been educated, you should. You should learn something. You should learn in a culture that says you don't need to learn anything because you have no responsibility. You, you have no value besides um, producing boys. You need to learn something. You should be learning. Again, we need to understand the context here to fully understand whether this still applies. This letter is written to Timothy, who is working in the church in Ephesus at the time. Um, of that, that this letter was sent to them. The, the culture of that church at the time was filled with constant heresy. A lot of the churches, that would happen. Constant heresy that was being spread constantly. There were different false teachers, different people from pagan religions. And you can even see that if you read the beginning of 1 Timothy, he addresses all the false teaching it just, uh, in, in chapter 1. He addresses the false teachers happening. The false teaching came mostly from men, but it was also the women who would spread those things, who would spread these false teachings. And they were not educated. They didn't know. They didn't know the difference. So they would spread these things that Paul would say you should not be doing. So these uneducated women were being used to spread false teaching. There's no evidence to me in this text that this was a permanent restriction for all women at all time. In fact, the, the verb in Hebrew for permit here is a verb called, um, in Greek, or in Hebrew, heptripo, 
which is a present tense. Paul isn't saying, I will never permit, but I believe he's actually saying, I will not currently permit because you do not understand, you have not been taught, you, do not, you have not learned anything. I am not currently permitting. And if this was meant to be permanent, why would they be instructed to learn anything at all? They weren't instructed in the Old Covenant to learn anything. That was never said in the Old Covenant. They definitely weren't instructed by Rome to learn anything. They are not permitted at this time because they are not educated and ready in that culture. Now, here's the deal. I believe when you understand the culture and the context that we can take these verses that are normally used for here's why we definitely can't have women be pastors and we can work around it and say, well, that's why I think it's mainly for that specific time, for that specific culture, for that specific church. But here's the thing. If I were to say that and I wasn't able to give you any examples of women in leadership, then it's just me dancing around something and not actually giving you any proof, right? I, I need to do more than just do that. But I believe that for many people in many churches, we ignore so many examples in the New Testament and in the Old Testament of women in leadership, women teaching, women as apostles, women in leadership. See, the, the question I kind of ask myself a lot is why do denominations and churches take two, and we'll put Titus in there, three different verses and make entire policies that they've had forever that they will not change, and they will fight you over those policies. They're so strict on those, and they will ignore all the other examples of women in leadership in the Bible. Why are churches so adamant about not ordaining women? And everyone thinks, well, it's because they're just trying to seek truth. They're trying to be true to the Bible. It's, it's the truth, and we're sticking with what that says, and it, it is what it is. That's truth, and I understand that. But actually, in 1976... The Montifical Biblical Commission, which you may not know what that is, but that is the best scholars in the Roman Catholic Church. Again, the Roman Catholic Church is the biggest church um, in, in the world, over a billion people. This is a group of people that their job is to look at Scripture, to learn it, to look through it, to study it, and to interpret Scripture for us. In 1976, they were studying and trying to interpret this exact same question, should, we, should women be priests? Does the Bible not allow ordination of women as preachers? And in a unanimous vote, they determined that women cannot be forbidden from priesthood based on the New Testament alone. In a unanimous vote in 1976. So you'd say, okay, then how come women can't be priests in the Catholic Church? And um, here's why I think tradition. The tradition is they aren't. You don't do that. See, if if we believe that Scripture is what's keeping women from becoming priests or being ordained, that is a conclusion that does not come from the evidence. Because 1976 said, no, the, the New Testament alone is not enough to make sure that women cannot be pastors. Here's where the tradition started. The tradition that women cannot be ordained as pastors started, there were these different verses that they would take to support this argument that, hey, Jesus was a man, the 12 disciples who Jesus picked, all men, and so from then on, we built this tradition and taken the verses to support that, that policy and that procedure. That's what happened, according to the Catholic Church and according um, and, and what I believe. And Paul's letters are used to validate that. And if this is the main reason Jesus was a man and all 12 disciples were men, that's why um, all pastors should be men, then the problem is they were all also Jewish. So if we're going to go with that stance, it's fine, but then that means I can't be one because I'm not Jewish. All of them were also Jewish, but we don't say it for that either. So with that, I want to give you some examples 
some examples that I have found in Scripture that I think point to the fact that I believe women can and should be ordained pastors. And here's some examples. You can write all these down in your impact uh, cards as well. The first one is the early church. The early church started um, in Acts chapter 2 is the, is the best example of church as we've seen it, church and uh, how we do it today. Um, we, a lot of times we will look at Acts 2 and see how those people did church back then, Acts chapter 2. And here's what Acts chapter 2 says, starting verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. And Acts 2 is the early church's forming. It sure seems to be saying to me that things that men are called to do get this church started. Women are also called to do it. Peter doesn't say, hey, men will prophesy while the woman takes care of the house while they're doing that. Peter doesn't say, men will receive the spirit while the woman can only take care of the kids' ministry. That's not what he says. He says, men and women, I will pour out my spirit on both of them. Both men and women will prophesy, both of them, the early church. Another example is Phoebe. Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, this is Paul writing this, the same guy who wrote 1 Corinthians, same guy who wrote 1 Timothy, okay? Phoebe is, we find Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, the end of his letter there, which is just Paul listing a bunch of names. So most of us skip it because we don't know who the names are. So we just say, okay, it's, that's not that interesting to me. But here's what Paul says in Romans 16 verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Chentrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of of his people, and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Paul sent Phoebe, a deacon, to the church in Rome to deliver a letter, to deliver this letter that we now know as the book of Romans. Back in that culture, whoever delivered the letter would also, when they got there, would read the letter out loud to everybody. So I would argue the first person to ever preach a sermon on the book of Romans was Phoebe, who took the letter and in front of the church spoke, which Paul said you're not allowed to do, was not silent, which Paul said you're not allowed to do, and spoke in front of everybody. Phoebe, who was a deacon, according to Paul. And then there's Priscilla. Romans chapter 16, verse 4. Again, this is Paul talking, the same person who wrote 1 Corinthians, the same person who wrote 1 Timothy. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. So who's Priscilla and Aquila? They were a married couple that were also missionaries. There's a reason that Paul lists all these names. If you read the rest of the names, they say the husband, and they never say the other wives' names. Like, they say all the, all the guys that have helped and all the guys that are in leadership. They say all these names, and they never say any other female's name, the, the wife of anybody else. But for here, for some reason, he thought it was important to say Priscilla, who's the wife, and Aquila, who's the husband. Here's why. Many scholars believe that Priscilla helped co-lead the church in Ephesus with her husband. There are also people that believe, and we don't know this for sure, so we can't say it for sure, but there's also people that believe that Priscilla quite possibly wrote the book of Hebrews, people that believe that. All we know for sure is that Paul didn't think of her as someone that had authority over, someone who couldn't lead, but thought of her as a co-lead with her husband, uh, Aquila, to lead in the church, Romans chapter 16. Here's the next one, Junia. According to Paul in Romans 16, here's how Paul says it about Junia. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Among the apostles. What is that telling you? Just like the 12 disciples, all the leaders, 
This person named Junia was an apostle. In fact, um, this is such a bad argument for um, people that say that you can't ordain women that what scholars did is they changed her name to Junius. If you have a Bible that's older at your house or if have one here that's older than 10 or 15 years, um, look at it. Look at Romans chapter 16, verse 7. And there's a chance that your Bible will say Junius, not Junia. Because Junius would be a male name and Junia is a female name. You're like, well, if it says Junia is an apostle, that's really hard for our argument, so it's got to be Junius. So they changed it in a lot of our translations uh, if you're past 15 years ago. The only problem with that change is there's no, ex- there's no um, proof that that was, their name, was um, her name, Junius. And this would be the only name, Junius, only time we've ever seen it in history. It's a made-up name, trying to make a male name. And so it was so bad that scholars have now determined, you know what, it's definitely a female. So if you have any new Bibles, it says Junia because it's a female. And now they're trying to argue that maybe the apostle thing was not that. They're trying to change the argument. Junia is one of the best examples. The evidence that is Junia is so overwhelming that scholars had to change it back 10 years ago to Junia. It's like, yeah, we, we, it's like 75% of them, most of them agree that this was, her name was Junia. Last one I'm going to give you, Mary Magdalene. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important aspect of our faith. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. We aren't here. This whole thing dies off without the resurrection. And in each gospel, both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one, the same thing is true about the resurrection. The first person that was a witness to Jesus coming back to life is Mary Magdalene. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them write that Mary Magdalene was the very first one. If you are an historian in a culture back then, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't actually happen, if that didn't happen, why would each gospel account say that the first person to see them was a woman who wasn't allowed to speak, whose word meant nothing in that culture? Why would each account say, yeah, that's who's... Because that's, if you're trying to make something up, you wouldn't say a woman found him because no one would believe you. In fact, they didn't believe her. The disciples didn't believe her. Why would you make that up? But the first person, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that sees Jesus alive is Mary Magdalene. And you know what Jesus says to her? He doesn't say, hey, Mary, I have really big news. Go get a man who can say this, okay? Because you're not allowed to talk. Go get a man who says, no, Mary, tell everyone what you saw. Tell everyone what you experienced. Tell everyone what you just saw. Part of the newness that Jesus brought was he went from 12 men who were disciples who all disappointed them, him in some fashion to then transforming it by giving this crucial, important, I would say the most important message possible that will completely change the world, completely make everything different, gave this important, crucial message to a woman who no one would believe. That's part of his newness. I can give you other examples. I can give you Chloe, who was a member, uh, whose members told Paul about quarrels in the church in 1 Corinthians. I can talk about Nympha, who was in Colossians, uh, who led and hosted a church in her house. I can talk about Lydia, who in Acts 16 led a church in her home. And that's not even talking about any of the Old Testament people like Ruth and Esther. I can give you more examples. Here's the point I'm trying to make. The church would not be where we are today if it wasn't for women in leadership in church. That's not me saying that. That's Paul and Peter saying that. We absolutely need women in leadership. It is clear in our culture that we need it, 
And I also believe that the Bible during a time period where no one gave anyone, any female any authority also tells us that we need women in leadership. So why is this important? Because I believe that this isn't a women's issue. I think it's what we think about it as. It's like some women's issue or some feminist issue that, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. This is not a women's issue. This is a gospel issue. That's what this is. This is a gospel issue. And when it is a gospel issue, it is a full church issue. This at the heart of the gospel, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Too many of us have this approach when we see this, we don't look at it as a gospel issue. We are completely passive about it. And we go, well, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. This is what I believe, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. We would never do that with anything else. Imagine if I told you our stance was only white people can be pastors. Would you be passive? Would you go, well, I mean, I mean, I was kind of taught that as a kid. I don't know. There's some verses that kind of talk about that. I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure. I'm just going to stick with what I've always known, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You would never do that. But for some reason, when it comes to ordaining women, that's what we do. And you may say, that's a terrible example, Eric. Is it? Because the church did this same exact thing not that long ago. Not that long ago, there were churches that, that said that we should have slaves, and they quoted Paul to say why we should have slaves. The same person we're talking about today. And we would say, well, it's different because we were misinterpreting Scripture then. And I would say, I agree. And here's my point that I'm trying to make. We have all been wrong in our interpretations in the past. We should at least be willing to be wrong today. This isn't saying that the Bible is wrong. This isn't saying God is wrong. It's saying we as imperfect people with our own baggage, with our own traditions, with our own pride, may have misinterpreted something. We may have gotten this wrong. We may have not discovered exactly what God wanted us to know. When we aren't willing to do that, it shows how prideful we really are. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong on this. See, some people will not agree with the way I interpret 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy. There are scholars that are 10 times smarter than me that will not agree with the way I interpret it. There are scholars that do, and there are scholars that don't. It's a fierce debate, and we should debate it. We should talk about it. We should figure out what exactly this says. I completely understand that. I, I get it. But here's what I don't understand. How can the church take two or three verses and create a super strict policy that has hurt the church, that has hurt women, that has hurt our influence in this world, create insanely strict policies based on three verses that we may have gotten wrong and ignored all the examples of women in leadership throughout the rest of the New Testament, written by the same guy who wrote the other stuff? Why do we do that? Why would we do that? Here at Impact Church and myself, we boldly and unapologetically believe in the ordination of women as pastors. And I think you should too. Because I think it's done too much damage for too long. I'm proud to say that we're part of the Church of Nazarene, which you, you may know that, you may not know that. Um, Church of Nazarene started in 1908. Since 1908, we have been ordaining women. Something that we've done. We've always done it. And a lot of denominations don't do that. If you're not sure if a church does or doesn't, just look at their staff page. If you go to their staff page, and every woman is a director and not a pastor, it's because they're not allowed to be pastors. That's how it works. 
And I've talked to a lot of pastors in those things that are part of a network that won't allow it or whatever, and they struggle with it. Because we can tell and we know things are changing, things are shifting. What I would encourage you, as you think about this question, whether you agree with anything I said or not or disagree with anything I said or not, is to not be passive. We can't be passive about this. Listen, if I'm wrong, then do your homework, do your research, and tell me. But if you're not sure and you just haven't thought about it, we can't, we can't fly that way. It's not a woman's issue. Because if we're wrong, the damage that we've done and the amount of witness that we have robbed people because we've told women, hey, you can do everything. You can be a director. You can really do everything else that the pastor does. We're just not going to give you the one title that you need. The amount of damage that we have done for way too long, it's, I'm, I'm just tired of it. So don't be passive about it. Think about it. Because there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us all. You are a God who calls us. You are a God who um, has a plan and purpose for us. Dear God, I pray that as we think about this, this topic and we wrestle with this and we look at verses that we don't truly understand and that, that are hard for some of us to, to truly grasp, I pray that you just speak to us, speak to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit reveal truth to each one of us. I thank you that you are a God who uses all of us, no matter who we are, male, female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, use all of us. And I pray that you help us to, to have this passion for the gospel, that if, if something is a gospel issue, that it is our issue, that we want to follow you. We want to follow what you call us to do, what you call us to be. Thank you for being the, the God that has a, has a purpose and plan for us. That puts us on a path that can use all of us. Thank you for your love. In your son's name, amen. Amen, everybody. Well, we are going to continue this series called Grilled next week. Again, um, if you have not, uh, uh, well, you can't submit any more questions. We're done taking questions. But if we're going to answer a lot more different questions. Some are very serious questions. Some are not serious at all. Some of you had some very not serious questions, and I'll answer them if you want me to. But it's going to be a lot of fun the rest of this series, I promise. Um, if, you, if you are planning on coming next Sunday to the cookout, please sign up to bring something. Um, bring something good. We're going to have burgers, hot dogs, all that stuff. But you can sign up on the iPad or on the or impactchurchmd.com slash grilled. First or second time here, make sure you fill out your protection card. Take it to the back to the guy in the orange shirt. Thank you guys so much. See you guys next week.